your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. can keep us apart. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God.
praise for his grace this morning. Awesome. Thank you, worship team. Y'all can have a seat. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? All right. There you go. Kids are excited. I can hear that. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Hey, if you are, you're, are a guest with us today, we are glad that you are here. We just want to thank you for being with us here this morning. We know it's not easy to, to try out a new church, and we just want to uh, walk with you in any way we can through the whole process. We have a guest reception immediately after this service. If you'd like to meet some of our pastors, we'd love to meet you straight out these doors and uh, just right around the corner. Uh, just another thing, another opportunity, if you received one of our uh, one of our bulletins, there is a QR code down there in the bottom corner, and that's a, a, a link to a connection card. You could do that right now, or you could fill it out at home later, and that's just a way for us to know that you're here, so we have a record of your visit. Uh, and that QR code, that connection card, uh, church for any of us, if you have any information to update, you can do that there as well. If you've moved recently, if you have a new email address, you can put that on there, and that would be a huge help. We do send out emails uh, occasionally and uh, well on a regular basis, but then also for some important information. If we ever have a, a weather cancellation, you know, we're still in that season. That's one of the ways that we would let you know. And I would also add that we sent out an important email that we think you as the church would want to read this, this past week. So if you're one of those people, uh, like I can tend to be depending on the week where you just kind of ignore the emails that come in, you may want to go back and read that particular email. Of course, every email we send out is important and worthy of being read. But no, that's, um, um, that's an easy way to update your information. Uh, another thing that we would add is this morning, if you call Houston, uh, Houston your church home, and you know, it's the privilege of Houston members uh, to give with their finances in, in many ways. But if today was a day that you uh, we're planning on worshiping through giving. We have boxes in the back that you can you can place your offering in there on your way out uh, or at any point during the service or also uh, you can give online. So a couple of announcements for you guys this morning. This week is our first Wednesday. First Wednesdays, so we gather once a month on Wednesday night. We will have dinner, and it was, which is always amazing, at 5.45 p.m., uh, that, that's, we begin serving 5.45, 6 o'clock, uh, family meal. So I encourage you all to come, bring your friends. We have a great time. And we've got classes for all ages. Kids and students are doing awesome stuff uh, during that time. Uh, also, there is uh, an adult option, which we tie to what we're, we're doing as a church. And we're going through Romans. Romans is all about the gospel. And so in this adult class, we're talking about seeking and seizing gospel opportunities and practical ways that we can go about doing that. And so for this upcoming class, we're going to talk about how there is often, uh, uh, there is a tension between grace and truth. When we want to share the gospel with others, how do we live in light of that? How can we approach sharing the gospels with others? How, how can we share the gospel with people when maybe we, we struggle to relate with, with them? I'm going to lean heavily. I'll be teaching that class. I'll be leaning heavily on a book called Messy Grace. And uh, I think we'll have a great discussion. So we'd love to see you there. That's first Wednesday, this Wednesday, 5.45 mealtime, 6.30 class time. Also wanted to let you know that as we go through Romans, we've got this reading plan, which is available to you. There's, uh, you can pick them up in the, the hallway there. And uh, while 
each, in each week, it will begin with a passage of the sermon that we're going to be going through this upcoming Sunday. But then we'll also have a variety of Old Testament and New Testament passages that can help you go deeper into this sermon text. Romans is so rich, and it brings together amazing passages all throughout Scripture. And it's just an opportunity for you to dive deeper and open yourself up. God, how do you want to speak to me? as I study this passage. So these are different discipleship um, things that we put before you. You can do it individually with your family, with others. Uh, we just want to put things before you so you can take your next steps, continue to grow uh, with God through his word. So uh, let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for how mighty you are. God, when there is chaos, we know that you are constant and your unchanging presence, God. When there is disease, we know that you never leave us and that you carry us through sickness, through death, through hardship. God, you are mighty and uh, you bring us strength and a peace that is beyond our comprehension. God, we rest in that today. God, may we be people of your truth. May we be a people that will be unswavering in our faith, knowing that the good news of who you are and what you have done and what you are doing is what gives us the power and the strength to take each step each day, God. Lord, give us a vision of what it looks like to live in light of your gospel. God, you are faithful. God, we worship you right now knowing that these things are true. And we know that you are a loving father that loves each of us with just incredible compassion and care that are just beyond what we can imagine. Lord, that's who you are, are who we praise this morning as a church. We rise up now and we do that without hindrance, knowing that you are worthy because you are our loving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Without hope, with no place to begin, your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began, ash was redeemed, only beauty Washes over me. 
sing this out together. Sing it out. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Come on, lift it up. Sing it out. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Sing it out to Him. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Pour out our praise, pour out our praise. 
If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. And uh, if you need a Bible, there should be some on the chairs there around you, underneath you, in front, behind. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1. If you're using the Bibles from the chairs there, it's page 736. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance. I've got a cough drop in my mouth. I may be putting more in. It's one of those days where you just, you know the voice is going to be thin. And the more I talk, the drier it's going to get. And I'm going to try to spare you from the coughing. So... So um, I, I've been up here before and I refused to bring up cough drops and then I, I got to that spot and then sometimes you guys bring them up to me. So I'm just trying to spare that as well. So uh, uh, just, just uh, in case you should see uh, me tucking that in the cheek there, that's what that is. All right, so um, Romans chapter one and um, before we, uh, we go too far than that, let me just put out a, um, a little heads up advisory for next week. Um, I will be putting an email out. Next week's one of those sermons that's going to have a parental advisory on it because of the content that's going to come up in the, uh, the next set of verses, which will be the rest of the chapter. Uh, so we will be talking about, about um, things that are perhaps controversial. Uh, I think if you have a sixth grader or older, you're fine to be in here. In fact, I would encourage your sixth grader or older to be in here. But I will send out more details in an email. Um, that way you can make that decision. Um, but just a, a fair warning on that. All right, so this morning, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17 is all we're looking at to, today. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes as far as time goes. I mean, it's only two verses. Only two. Next week, we're going 18 through 32. I mean, I don't even know what to do. So have you ever, um, have you ever been embarrassed to share the gospel have you ever been embarrassed to tell someone that you believe the gospel? Or you've been embarrassed that you knew you were talking to someone who was not a believer in Jesus, but, but you didn't want to be the one to tell them the gospel because maybe, maybe inside you were embarrassed about what it would sound like to, to actually say what the gospel is, you know, to actually say that you believe that, that God exists. And for some people, that's going to be embarrassing enough, right? But that God exists and that he created humanity and all humanity has rebelled against God. And whether, whether, you, uh, whether you realize it or not, that, that you are falling short of God's glory and and then, and then you would have to tell them then that because of that, that, that you're separated from God and, and, and yet God has done what's necessary in order to restore that broken relationship with him. And he did that by, by coming in the form of a person, Jesus. So, so now you're explaining that God became human. And then you're, then you're saying that, that this human God, that, that this Jesus, as we know him, he, he was not just a good teacher, but he was innocent and, and guiltless and sinless. And he died as an innocent person, a humiliating criminal's death. But he did that for you because of your sin. And that that's what you deserve, but he took that for you. 
And then he, he, he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead, and so now you're talking about people coming back from the dead, which this makes no sense whatsoever, right? And he came back from the dead, and now that if you just believe in him and what God has done through him, then God will give you new life. Have you, have you ever been embarrassed to share that message? I have, because even right there, if I'm being honest and I get outside of my churched mind, it sounds ridiculous. It absolutely sounds ridiculous to, to, to go through that and then to believe that. If I'm outside of my church mind, like if I'm, if I'm here and I just stay inside my comfortable church mind where I, where I live and exist, um, at least on Sundays, then I'm going to say, oh, that's what we believe. That's what a Christian is. That's what the Bible teaches. But can you imagine giving that kind of content to someone who did not grow up in the church, to someone who did not grow up in, in, a, in a, a culture that was acceptably Christian in its values and its beliefs. Can you imagine the absurdity? It'd be kind of like this to us. If I were to walk up to you and I do what so many of us do to people we're trying to share the gospel with, and I'd say, do you know Confucius? And you'd be like, what? I've heard the name. No, but, but do you know Confucius? Do you, do you have a relationship with Buddha? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That's how we, we approach people with this message. And, and, it, and to them, to their ears, especially if they're hearing this for the first time, it sounds foolishness. And that might then create in us a sense of shame, embarrassment. And by the way, Paul understood this message, how it sounded to people outside of the, the believing circles, so to speak. Because in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, we preach the cross and it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. And this morning, as we, we get to Romans chapter 1, verses 16, we're, we're going to see two verses. They're, they're, they're two verses only. But these two verses are what, what the, God, the, the letter to the Romans really hinges on. Because in, this, in these two verses, you really get the thrust of the book of Romans. You, you, you really get the, 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 main, the main push that Paul is trying to get across in the book of Romans and which he's going to then continue to unpack and unfold. Two verses that then get unpacked the rest of the letter. And see, Paul, you might remember, had not been to Rome. This, this group of believers that he's writing to in Rome, he had not seen them in person. Personally, he had not met them. And he's writing to them, and, and as we looked at last week, he expresses a desire to get to, to see them in person. He wants to be encouraged by them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to see them, but he hasn't been able to get there yet. And so this morning, we're, we're going to just look at, we're going to pull two things out of, out of these verses this morning. And the first one is this, when we're talking about the gospel, the gospel is how God saves that's the first thing that Paul's going to get at because he just finished saying, if you have your Bibles open, I don't have this, this on there, but if you want to just glance back because verse, verse 16, I'm going to put verse 16 up. Verse 16 starts with the word for, which means if you're just reading a devotional and your devotional is about verse 16 and 17 and it's going to try to tell you how the, the gospel is the power of God and all you read is verse 16, you don't have the context because Paul's continuing the thought 
He's continuing something he's already been saying, hence the for, or because, or let me explain to you why. And you can look, just glance back at verse 15, for instance, where he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For it, or for I am not. He's continuing right on that thought of, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. Those of you who are in Rome. For, now, so let's look at, let's look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so Paul, expanding on this, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you, keeps going and says, I'm not ashamed of it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's his main point in these two verses. And then he's going to give us two reasons why. Two reasons why he's not ashamed of the gospel. And we could flip that because he's saying it in a negative way. We could flip it in what Paul is saying is, I, I'm very proud of the gospel in a non-sinful way, of course, right? He's, he, he glories in the gospel. He delights to be able to share the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. But why would Paul feel the need to at least say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? What what is it that Paul might have been trying to, to, to go after in his readers' minds where maybe they thought he might be ashamed? Well, it, it could be the fact that Paul hadn't been there yet, right? But, but, but had said that he wanted to be there, but he had never made it. And perhaps there were some who were thinking, you know, Rome is this big city. It's kind of the center of the known world at that point. Um, the, elites, the, the, the elite classes, all, anybody who's anybody is, is in Rome. And, and, you know, to bring a message like this to, to a group of people who really are a minority still at this point, maybe Paul's avoiding coming to Rome. Maybe he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth where he's saying, I want to come. But then he really makes no effort to go. Because at least I can, it's kind of political, isn't it? At least I can express my desire that pleases you that I have a desire. But if I never follow through on it, at least I've expressed that, right? At least I've, I've kind of said what you want to hear. Maybe, maybe Paul's going after something like that where he says, I'm not ashamed. Which is why he would have said, I've wanted to come. I've just been prevented from coming. Perhaps Paul's saying, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because he realizes that the message of the gospel is coming under attack. Because if, if the gospel message is that God takes sinful people and brings them into his family, uh, adopts them in as sons and daughters, perhaps especially the Jews among the Roman believers might think that that message diminishes God's holiness. It, it, it waters down God's righteous character. How can a righteous, holy God bring sinful people into his family? How can he even associate with them? That will tarnish and stain the very character of God. And, and so for per, perhaps he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because some might think that. <coughs> perhaps it's the simplicity of the message. There's just not enough to it. Right? The, the, most people, they hear the message and, 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 and the response is, and you believe. You, you, you place your faith in Christ or, or you, you trust God in, in what he's done for you in Christ. And, and all that, that's required of you is a response of belief. And for some people, that's, a, that's an embarrassing message because, wait a minute, I don't have to do anything? There, there's nothing that I, that I can bring 
It's just too simple. Right? It's a crutch. Right? Which is, by the way, um, something that many people would accuse anybody who holds to a religion, but especially Christians, is that this, this faith is just a crutch to you. You lean on it. You, you, you lean on it to get by and to give you a sense of hope in hard times. Right? And maybe Paul's understanding that some people think the message is just too simple. And there's, nothing, there's not enough for me to contribute. So he says, I'm not ashamed of it. Or if you go, if you go beyond just the, the, the primary contents of the gospel, like what I explained on the front end uh, uh, of getting up here, uh, that Jesus Christ died and, and he, li- he lived and he died and he rose again. If you kind of get beyond that and you start to, to get into the understanding, why did Jesus Christ come? Why did he live and die on behalf of guilty people? See, that's what he starts to get into next week when he talks about the wrath of God being poured out. When you start to understand that in order to help people grasp the gospel, you have to help them grasp their need for the gospel. And as you help people grasp their need for the gospel, what you're telling them is you are a sinner. You fall short of God's standard. What you bring could never be enough. And when you, when you start to speak about the sinful lifestyles that we all pursue or the habits that we pursue or the, the way we think or treat people and we talk about how these are the kinds of things that bring the wrath of God, you can imagine an audience who thinks, that does not apply to me. I'm not that bad. I don't live that way. I don't make those choices. You can imagine that maybe you would back away from the gospel message at that point. And a lot of people do. Because it's not popular. You can't grow churches by telling people that they're sinful. You, you can't win friends by telling people that they are rebels against God. Right? So maybe Paul is, is mindful of these kinds of things. And for whatever reason, he feels the need to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But what is it? What is it that gets Paul to a spot where he's able to say, I'm not ashamed? I'm not backing away. He gives us two reasons. Here's the first one. For it, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the the, the Greek. The reason Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel is because it's the power of God for salvation. Now here's here's the thing. The book of Romans, there's your key right there. It's about God and his gospel. God is central to the book of Romans. I mean, you you can't get away from it. I mean, that sounds so obvious. I know we're reading the Bible, right? God's the center. But you can't get away from God is at the center of the book of Romans. Paul is talking about what God has done. When he started out this letter, he's talking about what God has done. And and as he's going to unpack this letter, he's talking about what God has done. This gospel, this good news, this message that that includes what God has done through Christ, that's the power of God, specifically for salvation. In other words, there's no other way for a person to be saved apart from where the power of God for salvation is manifest, in the gospel. There's there's no other way for people who are rebels against God, who are sinful and separated from God, there's no other way for them to be restored in that relationship with God apart from the gospel. It's the power of God. And it's not just that, that when we say this, a few sentences about what God has done, that there's some kind of magic in the phrase. Get away from that. 
We, we have developed such a horrible theology when it comes to evangelism, and we think if I just say the phrases, Jesus died for your sins and rose again, if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven and saved, that somehow there's like some magic in the phrase. There's no magic in the phrase. It's, it's, not, a, it's not about just getting it said. It's the content of it, and it's the reality of it. It's what God has done. And as we tell people about what God has done, then God, through His Spirit, uses that to then change people. But I think too often we, we get away from, from thinking that there's power in the gospel, and we, what we get to is we, we think there's power in a phrase. It's not the phrase, it's what the phrase is describing and telling you about. It's what, the, it's what, as you unpack the gospel for people, it's what God has done. It's the events that took place in history that have changed everything. And because God has acted in this way, there's power in the gospel. There's power in this news that God has stepped into creation and he's fulfilled his promises and, and that he has lived this obedient life and, and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and that those who believe will receive the life from him. There's power in that because God is behind it. He's the source of the power. He, he's the, the one that provides the power. See, you can say whatever magical phrases you want to say, and if God's not in it, there's nothing's going to happen. Eternally speaking, or, or, or in a way that is going to bring you into the presence of God, there's nothing's going to happen. But if the power of God is at work, it is, which is why, by the way, when people get up in positions like I'm in or positions of influence, whatever that platform may be, and, and they fall under the umbrella of minister or clergy or pastor or whatever the case may be, and they loosely talk about God and they never define who God is or what God's like or how they understand God, and, and they say things like, you know, all roads lead to God or um, Allah and the God of the Bible are the same, or you know, wh whatever the case may be, and it's just left nebulous. And then they, they redefine the gospel. The gospel is not this set of news of what God has done, but instead it's action that we live. And so then the gospel gets replaced, the content gets replaced with, with things like pursuing justice, and justice is redefined. So I, I just brought that back again. Didn't mean to. Someone accused me this week, jokingly, I think, of being too political. I have never in my life been accused of being too political, but I, I guess I have at this point. Um, but when, when people take things and redefine the gospel, there's no power in that. It's empty. And I can throw all of my weight and I can inspire you with great teaching and, and talking and motivation. And I can get, get you, most of you at least, centered around doing something that's a good cause, that's going to benefit some people. And it can be done and it can make an impact in some people's lives and the news could cover us and interview me and I can talk about how great this congregation is about loving people and yet all of that can be done without power. And it might make an impact here and now for a few weeks, for a few days, maybe even, maybe even for someone's lifetime, but it makes no eternal impact and it lacks the power of God. 
because the power of God is found in the gospel. As, as he has defined that, as Paul had started out, even in the first parts of his letter, he defines the gospel as in, in chapter one, verses one, he says, I'm set apart for the gospel. And in verse two, he says, the gospel was promised through the prophets. So it's based in Old Testament scriptures. Um, he says it's about his son. So the gospel centers around Jesus and, and all that that entails. He was descended. He was human from, from the family of David. And yet he was declared to be the son of God. So he's also divine. That was verse four. He, he, he rose from the dead, verse 4, which means he also died. So you can't have resurrection without death. And it's through him, verse 5, that we receive grace. I mean, Paul defines it for us. He doesn't leave it open for us to fill in the gap as to what he means when he says the gospel. We can't. We cannot redefine the gospel. It will lack power. We must hold to and cling to the gospel as it is defined by God himself because it is his Paul says, I'm, I'm not ashamed because it's, it's the power of God for salvation. By the way, he goes on and he says, it's for everyone who believes, Jew first and also Greek. This would have been revolutionary, especially to Jewish listeners, that, that the gospel, the, the news about what God has done through Christ, it's the power of God, not just to you Jewish people, but to everyone who believes. There's no discrimination in the gospel. The gospel's not limited to one ethnicity, one people group, one group of people, one tribe, one nation, or one country. It's not, it's not limited. He says it's to everyone who believes. And he clarifies what he means. All types of people. Jew, non-Jew. When he says the Jew first and also to the Greek, the, also to the Greek is a way of, of saying everyone who's not Jewish by birth. It's available to everyone. It's whoever believes, they will find this is the power of God for salvation. There's no gospel for the Jews and a gospel for the non-Jews. There's not two gospels where, where if you believe this one because you're part of this group, then you get saved. And if you believe this one, you're part of this group, you get saved. He says, no, it's the same. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Jew first and then Greek. Why does he say Jew first and then Greek? Because God has, has worked through the Jews predominantly from, from the time of Abraham and the promises and the covenants were made to the Jews. Jesus is coming in fulfillment of that as a Jew and he's going to do and live his life in the way that the, the nation of Israel was supposed to live it. If you remember God's plan working through the, the nation of Israel back in Genesis 12 was never just to isolate one group of people that he only intended to ever work with and then exclude everyone else. It was to isolate this one group of people Abraham's family who became the nation of Israel and through them and their relationship with him, his relationship with them be a light to all the other nations so that all the other nations would be drawn to God as they interacted with God's people and Israel failed. But now you've got Jesus comes on the scene. The old Testament tells us that Jesus is the true Israel and he comes and he does what the nation of Israel could not do. He comes and he's a light to all the world. So it's the power of God to everyone who believes, which, which means this, that, that the scope of the gospel, we can say it like this, the scope of the gospel is universal, but it's, its application is limited. The scope is everyone who believes, but the limiting factor is everyone who believes. You see, it's the same with John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
That's, the scope is universal. He's available, but then it's restricted so that whoever believes in him. The power of God for salvation is only experienced through belief in Jesus. It's limited, which gets us in trouble as conservative Christians because we're saying that it's an exclusive gospel. It's, it's for those who believe that God then does what he does. It's not every road leads to God. It's Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's exclusive. That's the power of God. He says, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God. He doesn't have to be ashamed because there's no discrimination in this. Here's the thing. Paul said in verse 15, I'm eager to come and preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. Paul wrote the letter to Romans to a group of believers. We talked about this last week. He wrote to a group of believers. And, and of course, he has an eye to, when I get to Rome, I want to reap a harvest among you. I want to I be able to talk about the gospel and see people converted. And yet, he's also saying, I want to preach the gospel to you, the people I'm writing to who are in Rome. He's talking about believers. Why would Paul say to a group of believers, I want to preach the gospel to you? And I'm not ashamed of it. Because for the believer, there's power in the gospel. So when we talk about the power of God for salvation, most of us typically just think to get saved, right? Like that initial moment where I believe the gospel and I've been, I've been saved, I've been brought into the family of God, I've been given new life from above, that, that I, I have experienced the power of God. And it's that, absolutely. But it's not just that. Because that's not all salvation is. Salvation, as the scriptures unpack it, is it's that, getting saved, it's the process of growing in that, and it's the completion of that. It's the salvation, which sometimes we'll call justification. I'm, I'm saved, right? And then it's the sanctification. I'm growing in that salvation as God who, who began a good work in me is, is going to bring it about to completion, but it's a process, right? I'm growing in my salvation. And then it's also when Christ comes, my salvation will be complete when my body and my soul are connected and I'm, I'm given that new resurrected body and the effects of sin on this body are done away with. Then my salvation is complete. Hey, Paul is saying, it's the power of God for all of that. The gospel is the power of God for all of that, which means you don't just believe the gospel and grow past it. If you do, you're not growing. You believe the gospel, and then you continue to grow in your understanding of the gospel and how that impacts your life, how it changes the way I treat people, how it changes the way I live, how, how, it, how it continues to shape and grow me, and how it gives me a hope for a future that is to come. I never grow past the gospel. Problem is, a lot of churches, what they do, and they get tired of their preacher talking about the gospel is because every week he's given an evangelistic sermon where he's just calling people to walk the aisle or he's calling people to repent and believe. And he's only focusing in on that, that, that moment of salvation. And then you got a group of believers who goes, I, I've done that. I need more. See, if we limit our understanding of the gospel to just that for non-believers, that's where we get in trouble. The scriptures never limit the gospel for non-believers only. We continue to grow in the gospel, which is why Paul writes this letter, which is the most expansive uh, explanation of the gospel to a group of believers. Because it must mean that as he unpacks these things that, that are all included in the, the gospel, it impacts the way we live. It's the power of God, he says, for salvation. That's why I'm not ashamed. All right, let's go on. So the, the, the gospel is how God saves. 
And, and then it's also in, in verse, uh, I've, I'm skipping a few things that I intended to talk about, but that's okay. The gospel shows God is righteous. Verse 17 is the gospel shows God is righteous. So look with me at, at verse 17. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First reason, because it's power of God for salvation. Here's the second reason, for, okay, explanation, for it, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He says, the second reason I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. God, God's righteous character is revealed. God's righteous act on behalf of sinful humanity is revealed. The, the very type of righteousness that God gives to, to sinful humanity. It's all revealed in the gospel. God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel, which means, hey, if you're thinking that God has somehow diminished his holiness because of this gospel message, as you understand the gospel, you realize that God never sweeps sin under the rug. God never deals lightly with sin, which is where Paul goes next week. All right, when we, when we pick up with verse 18, but God never just sweeps it under the rug and says, oh, my love will overcome every other thing about me and I'm gonna let everyone in. God never says that. As much as we might like to think, as much as many people like to teach that ultimately love overcomes all of that and, and God will just sweep things under the rug. He'll never sweep sin under the rug. He can't. If he did, he's not God because God has revealed himself as being just and holy, and righteous. And the only way you remain just is if when there's a violation of the law, it gets its just punishment. If God is just, he must respond justly whenever there's a violation of his glory, of his standard. And all sin is a falling short of the glory of God, which means it should be met with the justice of God. In the gospel, we find out God's righteous character is revealed because he deals with the sin problem by pouring his wrath upon Christ. The judgment for my sin, your sin, is, is not swept under the rug or overlooked. It's instead put on Christ. There's a substitute. He deals with the sin problem, which helps him maintain his righteous character. He doesn't sacrifice anything in his character. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And as God is doing that on behalf of guilty people, he's showing himself as righteous. He's acting in a righteous way, a right way. Because all that God does is right. It starts with God, and that's how we determine what's good and what's right, is who is God and what has he done? We don't look at what God has done and decide, I don't think that's right. I read it this week, someone Oh, it's some academic, some professor at a, at a university who was um, talking about the story of Hagar in Genesis, oh, maybe 17, 18, somewhere around there, where Abraham has a kid through Hagar, sends Hagar out because Sarah's mad, right? And, and then now he basically used her, got the kid, and put, puts her away and, 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 and sends the kid with her, Ishmael, right? And this, this academic, this professor, she says, God's actions in the story of Hagar are unacceptable, Now, I gotta, I gotta rightly understand what's going on in order to be able to speak to that, right? But I'm never gonna be in a position as created to be able to say of the creator what you have done is wrong. 
God's righteous character is revealed in the gospel. His righteous act on behalf of sinners is seen. And then, of course, as we go through Romans, we're going to see that that same righteousness he makes available to people who believe in Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed of gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The bottom line here is from faith for faith means it's by faith. In other words, you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to achieve it. It's by faith. The Jews believe the gospel. The gospel spreads from the Jews to the non-Jews. As you think through the book of Acts and you see the gospel spreading, it's by faith. People respond in faith. The gospel is revealed and it's by faith that it's received. And then it, he says, just as it's been written, and he quotes from Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, which is an Old Testament prophet, where Habakkuk was, was being told that the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, you're going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. God's raising up this vicious, evil people, using him as his instrument to judge his people who have been rebelling against God. And God says, it's coming. Wait for it. It's not going to, uh, uh, you're not going to miss it. It's coming. But then he reveals that this arrogant man, the leader of the Babylonians, he's destroyed by his arrogance, but the righteous person will be preserved because of their faith. And so Paul's making the case, this has always been how God operates. That people are saved, they're preserved by faith. It's not a new concept. It's not a New Testament idea foreign to the Old Testament. It's just more revealed in the New Testament about how God does that. It's the mystery of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. This is, this is the power of God. This is God's righteousness revealed. So the gospel is how God saves, and the gospel shows that God is righteous. So as we kind of wrap this up, I've got a few discussion questions maybe to help you think a little deeper. If you want to just take a picture of that, if you think you have time to write it down, you can write them down, but maybe that'll help you kind of go a little deeper. Here's the thing, this week... <laughs> Told you, there's been times I've been ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Friday, um, I haven't been to Tinker since before Christmas. I went yes, uh, Friday. I don't go again until late February. I'm kind of on a slower, slower track right now. And I was kind of hoping for a, a slow day at Tinker, to be honest with you. Um, just I didn't sleep well many nights this week, and so I thought it'd be nice if Tinker was slow and I didn't have to emotionally expend myself. And I get the news that I have a counseling session scheduled at 3.15 in the afternoon, nonetheless. And I'm going, you know what my brain's like by 3.15 in the afternoon? You know, especially when you've been up for so long, you know, and I'm just, I'm just going, okay, well, God, there's this battle going on in me because I know God, you're sovereign. So this appointment, it's going to be from you. So give me what I need to, to, to speak into this. I have no clue what I'm walking into. I know there was some, some suicides uh, over the last couple of weeks, several of them. It's just climbing. And so I thought it could be in response to suicide. So I was kind of prepping myself for, for, for responding to trauma related to suicide. And guy comes in. He's of Middle Eastern descent. He sits down and I say, what's going on? And he starts to describe how um, he and his, his wife are immigrants to this country. He's actually a reservist as well. He wanted to serve this country that he came to. And, and so um, he's been in the, in the military and as a reservist for a couple years. He's also a civilian employee there. And, and, and he works, um, and since he's been started this job at Tinker, he's been on isolation because they've not been, his, his particular office, they've not even come in. So he's been working remotely from the time he got the job. So he described himself as a people person who can't be around people because he's working remotely all the time. Um, there are those suicides that took place and, and he's lonely. Um, come to find out his wife and his one-year-old old kid are in Tulsa and have been for a year. 
and he hasn't seen them in person for a year. And I'm like, why? And he starts to explain to me why they haven't come down. It's because as he was trying to get things ready, um, they were scheduled to have her come down and then he got COVID. And so then they had to wait for him to get past COVID. And so then they were ready this past week and they were going to have her come down with the kid and they were going to finally move in. Then she got COVID, right? And, and she's having complications, but he can't go to her. And so he's concerned for his wife and his one-year-old kid who's who's you know a couple hours away and got COVID and having complications. He's lonely. He's depressed. He says, I, I, I'm not a drinker by, by nature. I, I, I enjoy a, a drink from time to time, but I've started to notice that I'm really longing and looking forward to that next drink. And he says, and I, I realize that's a flag. And, and he's, he's describing this pretty desperate, lonely, depressed type of situation. And I'm sitting here going, God, I have nothing. I mean, I know, I know he needs the gospel. I know, right? I mean, he, he's hopeless. He, he's lonely. He can't be with his family. I, I know he needs the hope that the gospel provides, but I'm, I'm listening to all this and I'm going, but the gospel's not going to help with his family separation. The gospel's not going to help him, him, him fix the, the issues that he's having. You know, he can't, he can't all of a sudden go to work and be around people because of the gospel. I'm just going, this is, it just seems so irrelevant. And then he says, he says, so I've come to the conclusion, and I'm, I've had moments like this, maybe you have, where I'm going, God, you're not letting me out of this one, are you? If I'm going to get out of this one, I'm going to be disobedient. And he says, so I've come to the conclusion that I just need to call upon the mercy of the God. And I'm like, oh, I got a man sitting before me who says, I'm here to call upon the mercy. Now his words, the God. And then he explains, he says, I've never been religious. I've probably just been lazy. His parents are Muslim. He grew up in a Muslim country. And he says, I, I, just, I just reached the point where I realized I need mercy of the God. But I think, I think all roads lead to God. I, I've never been exclusive in that. And I've studied the Abrahamic religions, which would be Jewish, Muslim, and Christian. And he says, so I'm familiar with that. And I'm just going, oh, I, I don't want to tell him the gospel on one level because I'm going, it's going to sound so trite. Like, if you just believe in Jesus, then, then this will fix all that, you know? And, and, and I'm going, it doesn't, he just wanted me to pray. And I'm like, I could just pray. I could just pray. And, and, and in the prayer, maybe, maybe slip the gospel in the prayer, you know? And, oh, I just was wrestling with this while we're talking, going, God, what do I do with this? Because I was feeling that embarrassment of the gospel message to this guy who won, who's got real practical needs that the gospel is not likely to, to address because the gospel is not necessarily designed to address all of our practical needs, right? And, and, and it's not necessarily going to even improve his living situation because some of that logistically is not going to change. And then he says, and I believe all roads lead to God. And I'm like, oh, that's a big topic right there. I mean, so all of this is going through my head. I'm going, God, I could just pray for him. Give him what he came for, pray for him, make him feel good, make him feel warm and fuzzy. Someone cares for him and we move on. Obviously, I knew I couldn't do that. And it was very awkward, and, and I shared this with you because I want you to know these conversations are not smooth for someone like me. They're not going to be smooth for you. They don't get any smoother for me. There was no neat, tidy transition that I could make, and I just said, you know, um, I, I'm sorry to hear about those things. I cannot imagine not seeing my, my wife and my kids for over a year in person, and he has adult, his, his parents who are ailing in the country of their, their origin who are sick and not doing well. He hasn't seen them in five years, and I, I can't imagine that. And I said, you know, I hear you. You, you, said, you said you came in to call upon the mercy of the God, 
And I said, and you, and you said all roads lead to God. And, and, I, and I said, I understand that's where you're at. And, and I said, but I hear you saying that you have no hope. Okay, that's where I'm, in my mind, I'm going, okay, God, this is where I'm going to make the connection and, 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 and get to the gospel. I hear you saying you have no hope. And I said, I think the best thing I can do is share with you where I find that hope. And that's how I got there. It was very awkward. I can only imagine from his end, he's going, oh, you're, you're going to do that. Because it felt like that to me. And so then I explained the gospel. I, I explained how, how, how God has, has given us hope that we lack through Christ. How I explained the, the sinfulness of humanity. I, I, even, I even took the whole, I'm not religious, and I've tried many religions. And I said, you know, I like to think about it as not so much a religion as a relationship. And I try not to do that too often because I, I just hear that so often in my circles. You probably don't hear it in your circles as often, but I hear it in my circles a lot. And I tend to, to stay away from that language because I think... I might tend to too easily just use it without thinking about it. But I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So, so I said, I, I try to think about relationship. I said, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other religions is the relationship that God desires and makes available for those who believe in him. Whereas every other religion, it's about what can I do in order to please the God? Or what can I do in order to be accepted? And I said, there's really no hope to be found in that. There's, there's really no, no way to know whether you've pleased the God or you've been accepted. I said, but in the context of a relationship, when, when God who, who has created us wants to be known by us, but because of our sin, we can't know him. But then he goes beyond that and says, no, I want you to know me. And so I'm going to do what's necessary to overcome the gap that's keeping you from knowing me. And your response is simply trust that. I said, in the context of that relationship is where hope can be found, not in a religion. It's in the relationship where there's a, a friendship that can grow and a, a relationship that, that can start to, to grow. I said, it, it, it doesn't solve the logistics with your family. Your life may not get any easier. In fact, it might get harder because remember, his background is Muslim. I said, you know, it, it may not even change the loneliness factor, but what you do have in the context of a relationship with God is somebody that is known to you and that you know and, and I know it doesn't, it doesn't surround you with people, but there's a relationship and loneliness is solved in the context of relationships. And so anyway, I, I unpacked it briefly. I could tell that, you know, this wasn't going to be one of those where I'm, I'm closing the deal. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not leading in a sinner's prayer because he's just kind of listening and he started to grab his coat. And I said, okay. And he says, do you have any services here? And I said, well, they're not, they're meeting online. He was meeting at the Tinker Chapel. I said, they're meeting online, but I said, if you want to attend a church, I can give you some recommendations. So I gave him two of my favorite recommendations in Oklahoma City that I, that I recommended. And I said, hey, check those out and they have opportunities for you to get known, you know? So again, the context of relationship, yes, it starts with a relationship with God, but then the community of believers is a relationship as well. So, so there's, there's this pathway for him and he's grabbing his coat and, and I'm thinking he's going to get up here and walk out without me praying for him. Oh, we're not going to let that happen, right? And he, he says, well, thank you very much. I feel better. And I'm going, oh, I didn't want you to feel better, you know? I mean, it's just all of this is going through my mind. And he gets up and I said, well, can I pray for you? Again, it did not feel like let's close the deal. So I'm not forcing it, okay? I, and I'm, I'm telling you, this is how I approach it. I'm not going to say, well, are you ready to accept this? That's not the moment right now. He has some things to consider. And I gave him a lot to consider. And I gave him some resources to consider. And he had my contact information. And we set up an appointment for a chaplain that I know is going to reiterate the same things that I said to him next Friday. 
And I said, let me pray for you. And so I prayed. And the gist of my prayer was, was, you know, pray for those logistics, of course. I pray for God that you would be his comfort, God that you would be his peace. And then I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to him in a way that he's never known you before. God, I pray that you will make yourself known to him so that he sees the love that you have for him, that he would then respond to you. And I pray, and this is a prayer I always pray for people. Uh, honestly, uh, I'm going to give you a trade secret. If I ever pray this for you, now you'll know. But um, I pray this prayer. God, meet them at their deepest point of need. See, I know what that is, or I believe I know what that is. I know God certainly knows what that is. But that's a way for me to pray without saying, God, they need to believe in you. That's what they need more than anything else. And so God, meet them at their deepest point of need. I'm asking in that moment, God, get a hold of his life and change him. Help him to see the gospel and change him. Anyway, your pastor wrestles with being embarrassed and ashamed by the gospel as well. I can assume if I do, you probably do. Paul did, right? And, and, and yet he's able to say, but, but I'm not ashamed because of this and this. And, and, and perhaps as you consider some of these discussion questions, it, it'll help take you deeper into why should I not be ashamed? Well, what is it? Have I seen the power of God? Because when you've seen the power of God for salvation in someone's life, then, then you remind yourself, no, I've seen God work through this. I'm not going to back away from it and give them a cheap substitute. And, and when you think about, about how God is, is revealed to be right, you don't have to worry. Listen, we don't, we don't have to defend God's reputation. It's just not our problem. As if I could. But it's just not something God gave me to do, to defend his reputation. I don't have to answer for God why he does what he does, why he chose to save, and how other people might misunderstand God. I don't have to answer for that. God does. And in the gospel, he does. So as we wrap this up, we'll let Jeff play. Maybe he'll sing something over us. If you want to respond, you're welcome to take a picture of that or, or pull up the, the page and give us some of your, your thoughts and stuff. But let's just let that settle. What's God saying to you today? How is, he, how is he confronting you this morning? And what are you going to do with that? When I think about the Lord, how he saved me,
God, would you make us into a people who are not ashamed of the gospel, individually and corporately, as people who call Houston home. That we would not back away and, and be content with giving people cheap substitutes that lack power. That we would not be content for living our lives uh, with cheap substitutes that lack power. But instead that we would grow in the gospel. As people who are shaped by it, as people who are changed by it, as people who are, who are proclaiming it to others because we know and have experienced the power of God. God, there's some in here who maybe that's not been their experience. Make it so today. That they would see you as they've never seen you before. That they might respond to the, the gospel that you, you have through Christ. Taking care of their sin and rebellious problem. That they might then be reconciled to you restored into the relationship that you desire from them, called your son or your daughter, never to be disowned, never to be put up for, for adoption by another, but, but yours. Speak to us, Lord, we're listening. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, see you guys next week.